This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast. This is episode number 190. And today there's uh, going to be two parts to the podcast. The first part is going to be with me and Chunga, and the second part is going to be with me and my uh, 10-year-old daughter. You're sending me to the bench. I am. I am. Uh, you're uh, bringing yeah. in a pro. I'm bringing in the uh, the cleanup, the cleanup, right. the cleanup hitter. Uh, but Megan, so Megan and I just returned from the uh, the Investor Summit at Sea, which is put on by the real estate guys. This is my seventh time going. Uh, this year, though, I just brought her. She was my companion. And so we're uh, going to spend the last uh, probably 20 minutes of the podcast just talking about takeaways. And it's on video. So, oh, is, great. so is this. I mean, so if you're listening uh, uh, to the audio, go on to YouTube. You can check us out. Uh, it's just- uh, I'm really excited to get Megan's take on this. Yeah, it's really cool. You haven't seen it yet because we no, recorded already. No, um, not at all. And so it's it's cool. She she took a lot from it. I'm sure we'll get into some of those details as we talk today. Well, but you know, was, I have a theory. I've got a theory about just how much a child of that age can retain, and yeah. it's probably not a lot different than an old guy like me. So. I yeah, you'd be you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. So we're gonna, you know, Chung and I are gonna talk for maybe 20, 30 minutes. I'm gonna teach him what I learned. Great, and he's gonna ask uh, questions and kind of get into just kind of the meaning behind it all because there was so many different lessons from it and that's yeah. why I go to this thing every year is because I, I walk away with such a different perspective on things Yeah, and it's interesting because this year you know Robert Kiyosaki was there and, and he had a uh, very similar message as previous years yeah. but this year I got more of it and I, I don't think it had anything to do with him it had to do with me uh, but there's there's a lot of you know shift that I make every every year going to this conference because it's one of those like it's one of the things where you're confined to a you know kind of a closed environment Mm -hmm. and you're with uh, investors from all around the world and you can't like go off and do things with like your, your family or your clique you're with them the whole time, right? You're and you're just completely immersed in the presentations, the uh, the classroom settings, the collaboration. Yeah, uh, you eat dinner together, you go on little excursions together. It's I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating environment. There's nothing like it. Probably I, a lot more intimate than a typical conference. I, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. I, you have been really up on this one, like you said, you do this every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I kind of wonder if these conferences, because a lot of these conferences can be just money grabs and. Uh, you go and you you have really high expectations, and then it's sales pitch after sales pitch after sales pitch. Yeah, the upsell. Yeah, the, over and over yeah. and over. Yeah. No, it's different. It's different than that because I've yeah I've been to those uh, conferences uh, before. Right. And yeah, you have uh, an upsell to a coaching or upsell to this or you know there's a lot of hype behind it. Right. Uh, unfortunately, this is completely opposite of that, and and they're they're very. Uh, explicit. I mean, but Robert and Russ, Robert, Robert Helms, and yeah, the real Gray, estate guys. Real estate guys basically say, "Listen, you're you're there to teach, and you're there to learn. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's no like run to the back of the room type of you know sales pitches, right? They it's kind of like forbidden. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember I don't remember it ever happening in the last seven years that I that I've been. Oh wow, yeah. Wow. So it's yeah, and this year was no different. Uh, uh-huh. There were there were things to buy. There were people there that ran businesses and so forth, but. It was an environment of learning, and this year, surprisingly, this year there were more new uh, summiteers. That's what we're called. Summiteers. There were new summiteers. There were now, more is that new faculty than or are these returning. people that are coming to summiteers are people that are teaching or people that are coming. Summiteers are are actually you know investors that are there to learn. Coming they, to they, learn. They pay okay. A fee. They come and they are, are taught by the different faculty. So mm-hmm. this year, I think there were like 20, 20 just shy of 25 faculty members. Okay. And and they were from all different 
you know, but most of it was real estate and had to do with wealth. But we had, you know, for instance, we had the the chief economist of Fannie Mae. Oh, wow. Was, he, was, he actually was not on the cruise. He had intended to come, but something happened with uh, his family. And so he was there the first day uh, and gave a really interesting presentation, which I'll talk about. And then had to take off. Yeah, then, then took off the, the next day. But fascinating guy, really cool history. And man, it, it, some of the things he said, I was very surprised at. He was very yeah. candid, didn't mm-hmm. hide. He wasn't, you know, the, he wasn't hiding behind his title or, you know, a bureaucracy associated with, you know, a, a government kind of quasi government entity. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was interesting to hear some of his comments and feedback. And I actually got to eat. Dinner. How was he received by people? Was he received with a fair amount of, was it lukewarm or was, I was it? I would say it was interesting is, is so Peter Schiff was another faculty member and, and mm-hmm. Peter Schiff is very, a uh, 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 stark libertarian. Right. And is very, um, you know, kind of against the grain with anything that's said. I kind of love Peter Schiff. Can I politics. just tell you? Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's a smart, really smart, br- brilliant guy. But he mm-hmm. he go he basically got up there and said, "Well, I'm probably going to talk about." the complete opposite of what this guy's going to talk about because everyone got up and like you know uh, explain what their theme what their topic was yeah so the you know doug duncan dr doug duncan who's the chief economist of Fannie Mae, got up and said you know i'm going to talk about you know trends and what's going on and what my take is and i'll go through graphs and so he wasn't very you know he was very general Mm -hmm. Uh, and then peter schiff got up and says well i'm going to probably do everything you know the opposite of everything that he said that's what i'm going to talk about interesting but it ended up not being the case right doug really doug duncan actually you know talked because shift got up and said well there wasn't really anything i disagreed with and we'll talk i'll talk about some of the statistics and the things that he was alluding to and then that evening i had i had uh we went out to dinner as faculty and i sat right next to doug duncan Uh uh-huh and i had a couple hour very interesting conversations. I'll bring up some of those, some of those I'm points. Excited as to we hear all of this. Yeah. So it was it, again. It's the caliber of, pre, of people that Robert and Russ surround themselves by is is. I mean, it's beyond impressive. I'm not sure what the word is, but every year it's it's an incredible experience. And mm-hmm. I go really because you're in an environment that's closed. You're focused. Uh, you don't have really a lot of distraction from business or internet or phone because there's limited access to that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I go there and it's really classroom after classroom after classroom. And it's just an immense amount of, of learning. It's like I said before, you immerse yourself with the people that are there, but also you immerse yourself in the, in the content and information. But I think this year was different because I understood something that, that Kiyosaki had been teaching in the previous years. Because well, can I just say something here? Sure. As, before you jump into this, you came back different. You came, I'm not saying better. I'm not saying worse. Mm-hmm. You came back different, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of kind of took me aback a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I was like, "Wait, this is not this is not the same Patrick again. Not mm-hmm. better, not worse, just different." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can tell it had a very profound effect on you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those, and I think I carried some objectives there with me where yeah. I was trying to figure out some things, you know, associated with, which uh, is always good to do in an environment yeah. like that. Sure. Yeah, Cause that's where you kind of are able to think about your challenges, think about obstacles and, and how to overcome them. And I, and I brought that there and I walked away with, you know, a lot of ideas and, and solutions to mm-hmm. some of the things I'm, I'm facing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I always come back different and it's, I mean, it's a testament to that environment and it's, I mean, it's, it's worth every minute, Every dime, it's a it's yeah, a, certainly not a cheap a life conference change. to go. No, to. it's not. It's very very expensive. But what mm-hmm. that does is it raises the bar of those that go. I mean, the caliber of people there is is beyond impressive. I mean, one of the guys mm-hmm. uh, was the he was a he's a uh, orthopedic surgeon in Austin. He bought the first uh, first rich dad poor dad book ever. 
Oh, like, okay. Very first in 1997. 20 years ago. Yeah, 20, first ever. And he was at a car wash in Austin and and uh, the uh, Keith Cunningham, which was associated with, with uh, Robert back in the day, had a car wash and he had the books kind of lined up at the car wash for sale. And this guy was getting his car washed and, and asked to buy one. And then mm. they, you know, long story short, they called, you know, they, uh, him and his, uh, his business partner, um, called the number on the back of the book and, and Kiyosaki himself picked up the phone <laughs> so he, and then they flew out there. They met him, got the book signed. Oh, that's um, cool. but Kiyosaki doesn't have any of the first editions because his objective was different than what it is today. His objective with the book and he's very, you know, he's, he talks about it in, in Rich Supporta, but it was to sell the cash flow 101 board game. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the original intention, mm-hmm. but then like Oprah and Amway and all this other stuff, kind everybody of, like, picked opened up on Pandora's it. box for him, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but this guy, I mean, that was the type that that guy was there, and he's insanely successful. He's practiced a lot of what uh, he's been taught, and owns like a hospital and a ton of property, oh, even wow. though he's a, he's a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very very impressive guy. But anyway, the, everyone else there is people that fly from New Guinea. Like mm-hmm. halfway around the world, they fly days. People from the UK, um, so it was it was a uh, it was an environment where you had that caliber of people and mm-hmm. topics that you just don't you don't go and talk about you know the the Federal Reserve or monetary policy or, or taxes or wealth strategy. You don't just go to like you know a cocktail party and and have discussions like that with other people because there's this required context to even participate in the conversation, mm-hmm. and most people just don't have that perspective or context. Does that make sense? Well, and to the layman and to outsiders who may not have the intimate knowledge of it, it's probably pretty dry. It, yeah. You know, and so how how do you how do you kind of jump in with both feet with people that just aren't versed in this knowledge? Yeah. So, so it's, uh, it, it'd be yeah. So that's where it's. You so know, you're a bunch of peas yeah. in a pod. Yeah, basically. Most people want to pay you know that type of money to go on a cruise, right? But but, yeah. it, but for those that understand really the value there, it's relationships, it's friendships, uh, you know, it's business opportunities, it's seeing you know really the perspective of others and how that relates to you and what you're up against. But I would say you know I, every year not everybody gets that, and I don't I don't mm-hmm. think I got that. But that was really I think the the overarching theme. It took you seven years to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I get bits and pieces every every year. But this sure. year, this year, a, a few things stuck with me, and it really was, it really was was uh, Kiyosaki, and he, he was he seemed a little bit different th- this year. He, I mean, he turned seventy years old. They did like a birthday party, and they did like an anniversary party with him. Yeah. Uh, and he was on a. It was. But you said he was a, maybe a little bit more confrontational. Perhaps? I don't even know if confrontational. It's just he's. I think he's in this mindset, and this is just my opinion of it. Sure, but he. He, he realizes that you know he sees the world much differently than everyone else, okay. And he realizes that the world is in a made it's in a major storm right now. And nobody mm-hmm. and everyone's oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he you know wants to sugarcoat anything because if you sugarcoat, it doesn't create any urgency and people don't really care. Mm-hmm. If you don't, that is when you know if it is somewhat abrasive, people think about it differently, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the message he wanted to to create because. Yeah, he did have, there was some you know, abrasive comments and things that he did, but I think it was intentional to get people to be in a different mindset. But that was his mm-hmm. big thing. He said, you know, the, it, 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 and we did an article study and we had you know, different presentations by him, but his, his objective is he is in this like investor mindset and nobody else is, right? Everybody else looks to the world through a lens of fear and they, the desire for security, Right, yeah. he's he's pursuing some sort of cause or, or mission, and most people don't operate from that standpoint. Right, and so you know a lot of the article study was around oil, 
and you know just kind of international relations. Uh, but the purpose of the article wasn't really to talk about oil or to talk about uh, how our relationship with you know the Middle East. Okay. Right. It was really to talk about uh, the author. And what the author was, what he was saying, not what you thought he was saying, and that's really that. That was what hit me. I don't know it's pretty it, meta, Pat. That's pretty well, meta. It may that's... seem. It, I don't know if it's. It, it may seem subtle, but that is such a, a, a profound idea because uh-huh. we we wake up every morning, we look at the world a certain way. Okay. Yeah. And we and it's all based on the experiences that each of us we are have. different. We each, yeah, sure, yeah. based I, on our I, own uh, insecurities and yeah, and, and it's not good or bad. And, it's just yeah. the way that it is. Sure. But why do people why do people have conflict with other people? And it's typically because of fear, right? And 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 Kiyosaki said something right out of the gate. He talked about labels. Like we label people, mm-hmm. and that labeling is what creates this like divide between people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you know black or white or Asian or Mexican or religions mm-hmm. uh, or areas of the world. Like we we look at that, left, and because right, somebody red, left blue. or right, even you know here in you know domestically in the United States, sure, somebody that's different, okay, we have a a fear. There's like a fe- there's almost a fear associated with it because of I, I don't know I don't know what it is, but what that prevents us from doing is understanding the perspective of others. Yeah, and then those labels, uh, you you no longer listen to learn, you listen so you can respond. Exactly, hundred percent. Which that, is which is I mean, once that argument, once you can get past that, amazing things can happen, right? Exactly, and his and his whole thing is like he he knows probably more than everybody there. But yeah. he sh- he showed up and he made this statement a number of times. He said, "I'm not here for you." Like he said that to, to summiteers, to people that were mm-hmm. they were there. It's like I'm not here for you, right? I'm here to be among you. I'm here to to learn. Mm-hmm. And he did. I mean, he brings books and he studies because he wants to understand how other people view the world. There because- were other people that were there. I did some research on this yeah. while you were gone, and there okay. were other people. They were blogging and doing different things, mm. and they were talking about how they were taken aback that. Robert Kiyosaki was sitting next to them mm-hmm. in a class or at dinner, like you you just referenced, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it almost unnerved them to a certain degree because they they knew the stature and magnitude of this guy and didn't know yeah. really what to do having him next to them. Yep, and he's and he's so big on just uh, mindset, right? And he and that's where we you know we temp- typically get comfortable with where we're at and what our what our purview is, what what we look at, what we see. Uh, and then subsequently, what we what we do, we get comfortable there, and that comfort level prevents us from looking outside the box or or making making a change, and therefore mm-hmm. we discount the perspective of others. Yeah. And his whole thing was, I don't care what pe- it's. It, he didn't say this necessarily verbatim, but it's like I, he's he meant I don't care if this person is is wrong or right. I want to know what they see. And then now I can take their perspective. If I know what they see and what they're doing, I can mm-hmm. use that to either refine or learn. You can he listen to learn. Yeah, it's like he, I don't think he he doesn't care what he knows. He doesn't care if he's right here. Or he called the stock market crash or he called the future. He doesn't really care. Yeah. Right. He cares about what's right. He cares about the perspective of others and if it will help him be. Uh, it'll it'll add to his mission and his objective. Like that's at least like what that I he's took from openly it. saying. Hey, I'm here for selfish intentions. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know if he. I don't and know I if think he is was... because it, it's yes and no. I mean, it's selfish uh, because it's for him. Sure, but he you know he did state that he has a mission. He has a cause, and that mission and cause. I mean, the mission of is uh, to help Rich everybody Dad, else. Yeah, so. the mission of Rich Dad is to elevate the financial well being of humanity. That's that's his. 
that's what he did. And that's where, and he says, he, the reason why he didn't write Rich Dad Poor Dad for that period of time. He mm-hmm. wrote it for where we're at right now, where we're at right now. Yeah. And his whole big thing, and I don't want to go off on like a tangent here, but it was interesting is he does everything possible to not pay taxes. And he doesn't mm-hmm. do it because he wants more money. Mm-hmm. He does it because he does not, uh, he makes a better difference than the government does. And he knows the government just takes the money and does not do anything that good with it. Yeah. Right. There's so many, so many roads and so many, you know, he uh, thinks they're being wasteful and that money can be put to use better in other places. Yeah. And I, and I think, and he does everything in his power to prevent money from going. But isn't that, isn't the tax code set up that way though? I mean, don't they, don't they try It's like, Hey, look, if you want to be versed in the tax laws and the tax codes, uh, it's it's to your benefit to do that because we would encourage you to try and use all of this stuff to get out of paying as much as you can. We're For not sure. going to make it easy, yeah. but you can do it. Yeah, and that's where so Megan and I hit on this in, in part two because okay. that was we talk about debt uh, and and uh, assets and taxes. That's what. And, and so there was a, a heavy topic for a ten year old. It man. is, but it was cool because that's what hit her. One of the things that hit her is because uh, they played a clip. They played a clip. It was a Donald Trump uh, debate with Hillary Clinton, uh-huh. and Clinton was like, "Well, Donald Trump, you know, he, he didn't pay any taxes." And Don, Donald Trump was like, interrupted her and said, "Yeah, because I'm because I'm smart." Yeah, and it was it was a it was a great right. clip. But then what her Megan and I, because typically how Kiyosaki works is you. You know, you, he teaches you something, explains it, but then has you discuss it with your neighbor. So Megan uh-huh. was there, and I got to actually have a discussion with her about debt, about taxes, and and she got it right. I said, mm-hmm. why doesn't you know Donald Trump pay taxes? Because he, like he said, like you just said, he follows certain rules that have been set up by the government that they set up because. They said, that's where they need money, so they're going to incentivize people to not pay taxes if they put their money there. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so we, we we talk a little bit about about that. But his, but my point was, even though like he doesn't want to pay taxes, mm-hmm. like that gives him a guide to do it. But it was his intention, which I never really got. His intention is he just doesn't want to give a dime to to the government. He wants to build wealth. He uses debt, and the reason why he uses debt is because our whole economy is based on debt. Now, for the record, he probably gives a lot in taxes, but you can still have that goal. No, I don't think he does. Really? Like, I look. He he went through some of the things he's doing. Uh, I'm sure he pays some, right? Well, but I, we all have to, sure. But he goes to the nines to figure out how not to. Good for him, right? And it and it more is not to have more money. It's to, you know, essentially because he doesn't believe in the the. the the government that gets it and spends it because they now, don't before, do it wisely. Before they, people start saying, oh, that's unpatriotic and, oh, you shouldn't do that and, oh, that's un-American, you have to understand that you are taxed to the nines. You're taxed on what you make. You're taxed on what you spend. You, 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 you're definitely paying your fair share. Yeah, I mean, So why not try and do this? I, yeah. I highly encourage everybody to do that. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're going to keep building like billion-dollar websites like healthcare.gov, they, yeah. they and, need money to do that. And $800 for a hammer here and $1,200 for a toilet seat there. And, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, they have to study the you know the mating habits of, of mosquitoes, you know, so it's- Yeah, and there's they the need shrimp the money on the treadmill, that. right? That's the one, the viral video of the shrimp on the treadmill because we the have shrimp. to know how, how shrimp run underwater. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, but that, that's his that that's his intention. And he uses, you know, Tom Wheelwright's his, his tax advisor and- uh, and they go just through a lot of different, you know, charitable things that he does, and he donates a lot of money. And anyway, it's fa- it was a fascinating discussion. 
Uh, but that's that's what I understood from him is that that's his intentions. That's what he's trying to do. And then mm-hmm. as he learns, he doesn't try to learn based on the filter he has. He tries to learn based on an unfiltered reading or listening uh, or experience with somebody that's different than him. That That's his whole... That, but, if I were to but, sum you know, it all up, that's de- how I would do it. Playing the devil's advocate here for the sake of the show, for the sake of, you know, just to, so there's that contrasting voice, though. Isn't it a little weird to you? I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this. Isn't yeah. it a little weird to you that you would have a guy who is being somewhat abrasive to people and saying, oh, sit down, and yeah. you don't know, and blankety-blank, yet in the very same breath will say, I'm here to learn. I'm here to I'm here to learn from you. Yeah. Because that's to me, that's having not met Robert Kiyosaki mm-hmm. having never seen him live it seems like a weird uh, a weird kind of um, it's more it's kind of a contradiction parad- you know, uh, paradox it, it, it's a paradox yeah, yeah thank you well I would say and that's a great it's a valid it's a valid point um, but I think as as he as he puts it um, you know he's the disruption helps a person think about what questions they're asking oh, and how they're analyzing okay so I think he uses that because if you're like you know being nice and Rarely in that type of environment do you learn anything. It's mm-hmm. really where there is so it all disruption. comes down to the value of change, and change is is virtually impossible to have without a significant amount of pain. Yeah, and and, and I, at varying I, levels, and, and that's where it's like you know, I think he wanted to wake wake people up. And okay. what his statement said was the right way to learn is to get rid of your ego, get rid of your pride, get rid of your perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, not to say that it's bad or that you're not smart or you do look at the world in a certain way. But this uh, tactic that's, is that's to strip line. all that down. And it's to strip it down get and to get rid of raw. that so that you yeah. can have an unbiased, unfiltered view of something. Now, it doesn't mean you have to accept it as right. Mm-hmm. Okay? It could be completely wrong. But what you want to do is strip away everything so you can understand without a, without a, without that decide. filter. Because that filter is basically trying to say, you know, no, no, anything new is bad, new bad, new bad. Yeah. So you stripping that filter away allows you to look at things uh, unemotionally and and as objective as possible. I think that was his that was his point. Mm-hmm. And well, so he I, was it was and it worked worked for me. It still works for me where you read something. And it's like, you know, your, your perspective, well, that's not, you know, I didn't, that's not what I learned or that's not what he said, that other person mm-hmm. said, or that's not what I was taught in Sunday school or, yeah. right? Sure. So if we use that baggage, we filter out being able to learn, right, that there may actually be some truth. And you're saying that, that this had a much more profound effect on you this year. Is, is this, can you pinpoint the exact thing? That that helped you with this because you you're kind of internalizing it and saying that yeah. it was you you were the change it wasn't any sort of external thing but there had to have been some trigger yeah. somewhere in you that said ah I don't know you know and is. I don't know I don't know what it was because he did the same thing last time and mm-hmm. where he would you know we would read an article last year it was uh, Jim Rickards uh, a new case for gold we read like a couple of chapters mm-hmm. and and I actually. I, I didn't do it this year, but I raised my hand because if you participate, like he wants people to participate, mm-hmm. but if you start participating from your perspective, like he like shuts you down. So that's in what you're talking instant. like in my opinion or yes, I think. I think or, or sure. I think what you're saying or in my opinion or based on what I've learned in the past, mm-hmm. that's like you even like hint at that. Mm-hmm. It's like he's sit all down. over you and he's like sit, go sit down. Go I'm sit done down. with you. Yeah. So so I you know I answered a question last year which was relating to gold because yeah. he you know in Rickard's book it talked about how you know FDR and during kind of the Great Depression era they confiscated the private ownership of gold. Yeah. Right? And they exchanged you went and brought your gold 
and they gave you um, it was like military bonds or something like that, right? No, they, well, yeah, they give you money for it. Oh, like they, 30, give you they, cash they paid for it. Okay. you know thirty five dollars a uh, an ounce, and then they raised the price like right after they did that. They raised the price of gold. So he was like, "Well, what does he? What does what does that mean?" And I raised it. And I said, "Well." They did that because they couldn't just go print money. The only way they could have more money in circulation is by raising the the price of gold. So now the gold's more valuable. Now mm-hmm. they can they can essentially create money of that difference. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "I have no idea. We, I, that doesn't. I, that was I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I was too and." And so, and it, and it probably was, right? Actually, it sounds pretty good to me. Well, that must have been your well, Kiyosaki like version right of it. That's yeah, like that's right the now. now version. Then, I don't know if that was the exact explanation <laughs> I gave. Uh, but but my point is, you know, he he wants to understand what the author is saying. What's the perspective? Not what you think, but what he's actually saying. Sure. And or to clarify, you know, maybe a question here and there. What is, you know, what is, what does that mean? Or uh, what is, you know, did he, you know, what does he mean by this? Or what is he saying by this? What, why, why is he using that example? Right. He, he loves the clarifying questions. Are, are you better than me? Because it, it, me, I'd be sitting there and I would take a certain level of sadistic joy in watching all of these very, very successful, very rich people just squirm yeah. under Kiyosaki's thumb. Oh, and they were, yeah, you know? they were, yeah. I felt, I, and there's some new people there that, you know, hadn't, they were like, no way, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I want um, nothing to do with it. But at the same time, what was cool is that you know he he did, he made his teaching, he made his points, and then we all got into these little groups of three, and we discussed it. We had dialogue. We we talked about what, and it was it was fascinating because I was in a group of of uh, with two guys that were really 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 smart. Uh, one of them was was the the doctor in, in Austin, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was fascinating to kind of have that discussion. Those the two that were there hadn't been before, mm-hmm. so it was good. It was cool to bring kind of my experience to the table and say, okay, well, I, I, what he the reason why he did this is because this, and so it was it was that that really hit me where I was able to you know com- completely look at why does he read books. And and from what perspective and for what and game, it's, and, for and what at game. seventy years old, um, you know, at seventy years old, I hope to just be eating a bucket of chicken a day, reading um, Mad Magazine, and wearing adult diapers. You know, I have like no, I have no goals at seventy years old. It's like I hope to have every curve beat at that point, every but carved just, meat. You no, know, every curved beat. Okay, I was like every carved meat. I'm like, this is like no. Brazilian steakhouse. No, man, I hope to have every curve, everything that I want to have accomplished. I want to be, have been able to do that. But yeah. for him, there is no end. For him, it's the journey, right? It's, no, and, and that's he, why he's there at seventy years old. And he's it. there because he's, you know, he. And that was another profound thing that he taught was the idea behind uh, freedom. And security, right? Mm-hmm. He uses his cash flow quadrant to explain it, but the employee quadrant, E quadrant, and S quadrant are are driven by the motivation of uh, security, right? Yeah. And that all is based on fear. Then the B and the I are based on freedom, mm-hmm. and so there's a huge difference be- behind the you know. See, the, so I'm a security guy because I just said that security yeah, guy right there, and that's fine. It, it, but it's one of those it's one of those things where. You know, it depends on what we want. Some people might want to be an employee. They may want to be a self-employed person or a specialist or a business owner or an investor. Well, and it, you know what? It, you know what? This that that perspective may change too. You know about my life before yeah. I came here yeah. to work with you mm-hmm. on, on the Well Standard, and my life was crazy. I mean, it was a crazy life yeah. until my wife finally just said, "Look, you know, it might be time for you to just kind of." Look at the world through a different filter and mm-hmm. maybe slow down a little bit. Yeah. And so I went from having. Uh, my entire adult life based in freedom yeah. to having that security, my my entire perspective changed. Yeah, and I think looking at what he was trying to get across by that, because either direction, whether you're in B or I or whether you're yeah. in E or S, it, 
it doesn't really, I mean, it, it matters, but I would say it's to understand how other people view the world. And mm. then if you know that, now you can make a decision on what you want to be. Do you want to be a business owner and run a huge company? Do you mm. want to be an investor? Uh, do you want to be just a, a an employee doing something you love? Do you want to be a specialist or somebody that's self-employed that wants to do something that you that you love? His I don't think his point was to tell people you what to do. You could affect a lot of change in any of those quadrants. You could, but I but I, I, what he was saying is that. In order to really value where you want to be, you have to understand the perspective or try to understand all perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that's so where- So I bet there were a lot of people there thinking that were, you know, I'm using quotations here, thinking they were investors. Yeah. Oh, they they all did. And that's where most of them circumvented the B quadrant. And they that's probably they the are, hardest one to attain. So they were looking that. at the investor- Over 500 employees yeah. in the business sector. Yeah. And Kiyosaki's done it. I mean, he has companies, he has a lot of employees, but he's not involved at all, right? Mm -hmm. And that's his definition of an investor. Mm -hmm. So people, are, I think, were, were looking at the investor quadrant from the perspective of a, I'm an, taking an employee, and I'm putting it right? Else. Or from the perspective of a self-employed person, right? So oh, was, I see. Was, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it was, it, was, uh, it was fascinating. But that whole- I don't know. Just the, the learning environment there was was profound. It made me think about made me think about a lot, yeah. and and it helped me kind of realize to a, a greater uh, extent the the valuable perspective that's in others, whether you agree with them or not, or whether it adds value or subtracts value. It's trying to just strip away and, and understand where people are coming from. Mm. So it was it was powerful. Yeah, were you bummed? Were you ready to get off the boat, or could you have done another week of this? Because no, it seems like I it's couldn't. pretty intense. It, it is. It's like a. It's like a. Mar it's like a mind marathon, a brain marathon. Yeah, it's a. It's a. It's a lot, and that's where. What What about uh, Megan? Did Megan give you any pushback? Like, hey, uh, Dad, I don't want you to go to this, or I don't want you to do this. Let's go ride the water slide, or let's go. No, I, and I gave her a heads up. You know, I I, yeah. I said, listen, this is this is not like a vacation, mm -hmm. right? This is this is a learning experience, right? And there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of demand for our time, mm -hmm. uh, participating in conversations, talking to people, mm -hmm. uh, and then she you know she did like hang out with some kids, and they went to kids club, and you know, but but she for the most part went to all of the sessions. Wow, and she was she was really good. Yeah, she was, wow. she, was, uh, she was really good, but I don't know. Those were, you know, and I could, we could keep going on all the other things that I that I learned. I mean, it, yeah, the Doug Duncan thing was. Let's just maybe end with that since we're probably running out of time. Yeah, because we're gonna we're gonna get Megan's take on this here in a second. Yeah, maybe right? we'll do, and we'll we'll maybe come back. Well, we actually have a really cool guest for next week, but I'll, uh, yeah, maybe we do another kind of follow up follow up to it because okay. I learned. Man, I learned a ton. I want to go through all the different. Let's you know, do no, it. The notes that I took, but yeah, Doug Duncan. That was what. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's leave let's leave that one. But Doug Duncan is the chief economist for Fannie Mae, and uh, he was very candid about where we're at. And I'll give you a little uh, a little kind of taste of what we'll mm -hmm. talk about. All right. Uh, so he he basically said that we are in the longest running uh, expansion in housing ever in the history of the United States ever ever without a correction. And he also pointed. Which is weird. That sounds so strange to me because we just we just man, there's a lot of us, myself included, you included, yeah. that really, really took it in the shorts. Yep. Uh, in 2008. Yep. Uh, I, in many ways, I still haven't recovered from that. Me, I, there's you, parts I, of me. I, yeah, you, you. And either. I think from a mental standpoint, right? It's a, from a physical, like money and assets. But from a mental standpoint, I think there's still a lot of oh. lingering from that. But here's the thing: is the conversation. So he brought up that, you know, you have these. Uh, you know, whether it's the labor participation rate, which mm -hmm. is at all time 
uh, lows, especially amongst those that are in the prime of their life. Mm-hmm. They're not even in the workforce. So, yeah. you can, so they're not being counted for unemployment. So they're the dis- and he talked about it, which was fascinating, which if you're a, if you're a government bureaucrat, you you don't like make the government look bad. But he was, he said, here's unemployment rate. Here's labor participation rate. And it is completely, you know, the unemployment rate is this completely is misleading. Entire, yeah, the, we, we, we need to spend an entire episode sure. just on this guy. Well, what was also cool is that he he went into Fannie Mae right when they were taken into receivership, mm-hmm. right, right when they started going bankrupt and needed help from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when the so government started there, buying like bonds. buyout then? No, he was, he was with the Mortgage Bankers Association, okay. chief economist there. So he saw from that standpoint everything that got them into that mess, and then he saw it unwind. And so I was peppering him at dinner with, uh, I said, okay, so looking at, because he was using, well, we solved this and we solved this, and and he was he was like, listen, the market, like when you have a market, it's because you want you have a buyer and you have a seller. And he said there were zero buyers, zero, literally mm-hmm. zero buyers of mortgage bonds, which are you buy the bond right to get money to put into mortgages that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how that market works nobody was buying everybody mm-hmm. wanted to sell and that's where he said we could have this you know it could have been every, everything could have came to a, a extreme halt we would have had 25 percent unemployment we would have been in diet and i said okay i get that but did we really solve the problem right did we really like solve everything that happened and so now we have no problems. Everything is, is hungry. We should make this a cliffhanger. Don't give For us sure. the answer. No, I we won't. should wait until the next And uh, his response was Yeah, we just, you gotta well, wait. You gotta wait. No, but yeah. his response was actually was, was fascinating. And we talked about the derivative market. Uh we talked about, you know, how banks right now are just like so leveraged and they have, you know, their assets to to debt ratio. I mean, it's insane yeah. just yeah. how like scary it is. Mm-hmm. And you you ask questions like, why would Wells Fargo just go and open up fake accounts, right? And open up fake credit cards. <laughs> it's because they're, they to these show. banks are in, you know, they're in some. Yeah. They're, and so, yeah. So anyway, I, I basically alluded to, we just deferred the problem. And I asked him, I said, is it possible for us to to get out, right? Is it possible for the economy to come back? Maybe without and a major it, correction, and again. we'll and we'll all leave that to our next. Our oh, next I can't podcast wait to hear this because it was fascinating. This guy. So that was will awesome. probably be episode one ninety two. One ninety two. Yeah, so it'll be a couple yeah. weeks because we have we have the father of the four hundred one k Ted Benna on our next podcast. That's really exciting. Father of the four hundred one k. Really exciting. Seventy five years old. Did the first four hundred one k ever. Yeah. And so said he created gonna, a monster, and he created a monster. Yeah. Yep, I'm looking forward to that. That's next cool. week. Now, do we want to put, do we want to have Megan on this one, or do we want to do we want to say? No, we, I, I gave a part two, so let's let's put her on. Maybe we'll make it an extended. I'm, I'm interested extended. to hear her take on this. Yeah, she it was cool. She's she's uh she's surprisingly she wasn't shy at all on camera, right? Uh-huh. But when there's like a ton of people around, she's like. Eh. But if she knew there was like thousands and thousands of people seeing this, like, oh, another story. that would have gone down differently. Yeah. So yeah, so stick right. to the part. T- stick uh, stick with us to part two, where I uh, do a little brief interview with right. uh, with my ten year old. So you can see go. what her takeaways are. Yep. Hi everyone, uh, this is uh, Patrick Donahoe. This is the second segment of our podcast this week, and the topic is the Investor Summit at Sea that I just returned home from. But I had a very special guest that came with me, which was my ten year old daughter Megan. They actually saw that. Uh, we are on video. We are on video. So if yeah, you guys want to go over to if you're listening uh, on the uh, podcast app or online, uh, the video is available on YouTube. So go check uh, go check that out. It's in the show notes, thewealthstandard.com. 
Uh, but anyway, Megan, Megan's going to help me do this uh, sec second segment uh, because she uh, had a great time. She had a great experience, it sounds like, and she's going to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, but the Investor Summit at Sea is put on by the real estate guys. It's the seventh time I've been on it. Uh, usually I take uh, just my wife, Cynthia, with me. And, uh, and there was one year where we took the, the, whole, the whole family, which was... Except Jack, because Jack wasn't born yet, uh, but you know it it was it was kind of rough, you know, business and family. It's kind of hard to to mix those sometimes in the same same event. Uh, but anyway, I thought it'd be a good opportunity this year to bring Megan because Megan's expressed interest in investments and business in the past, and uh, and plus I th I thought she'd have a good time, and I uh, convinced her there would be some fun, uh, and I told her about the napkin song, which we can maybe talk about. <laughs> <laughs> which that's an inside thing with uh, the real estate guys. Uh, but anyway, if you want to check out the real estate guys, they have an amazing podcast. They have some incredible guests that they put on there. They had an amazing faculty this year, but uh, check them out. It's the real estate guys.com. All right, Megan. So you had a, from what you were telling me, you had a pretty good experience. So why don't you tell us about like maybe who were the, the, the top speakers, the top presentations that you, uh, that you enjoyed the most. You. <coughs> Me? Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. And Tom Hopkins. Okay. So what did you what did you like about uh, Robert Kiyosaki? Um, Robert Kiyosaki explained it in a way that was like a way that you could understand it. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's really he focuses on making things as simple as possible. Right? So it was simple and you understood it. I know because when you're in there, you were really engaged, right? There weren't a lot of numbers, right? It was more just very general concepts, right? And he used some videos. I mean, it was a really good presentation, right? Yeah. All right, so what about Tom Hopkins? What'd you like about Tom Hopkins? So he said jokes about real estate. He's, he's yep, he's a funny guy. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what do you think about his like bright gold shirts? <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy? I think they're What awesome. do you think if I wore those short shirts? <laughs> do you think I could do that? I could. I don't know if I would though. Yeah, you would. Uh, but anyway, Tom Hopkins, the the infamous, uh, infamous. I guess that's a negative connotation. But the famous Tom Hopkins uh, is a, a personal development individual and just an amazing, amazing personality. Uh, and he has come, I think, on the last like four. But what are what are some of the things he taught you? What was one of the one of the things he talked about toward the end that he make that he made everybody go through themselves to do to do themselves. Um, kind of. He like did the card game. The card trick. There you go. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what did we have to do? We had to, we had to repeat it. Mm -hmm. right? So we had to <clears throat> ask yeah. ourselves yeah. what we would tell people. Say, have you ever played cards before? Mm -hmm. And then they read it. They would either say yes or no, or mm -hmm. have like an answer back. Mm -hmm. And like. And you were always trying to get them to say yes. Yeah, you were always, yeah, because you always want to start with someone to agree with you yeah. in the beginning of a talk. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's cool. Tom Hopkins has this like little card trick that he does to find out like what card you picked from the deck or what you're thinking in your mind as far as the card. And he walks you through all these different questions that you can ask. It's, there's a few videos on YouTube that he does it, uh, but we we did it, and it basically teaches how to get people to say yes. So it was uh, that was really cool, and he makes things so so entertaining. All right, so Robert Kiyosaki. So why did you like why did you like Robert Kiyosaki other than uh, his simple his simple uh, presentations? Well, he was really nice. 
Yeah. He gave me a hug. I think you were probably the only one that he was nice to on the cruise. Because <laughs> everybody else, he was trying to prove a point, and people weren't getting it. He was getting really frustrated with people. Um, but that's how that's how he is. He wants he really wants people to think, right? But with you, he was really nice, right? He gave you a hug. He signed. He signed, he signed your books. Like we have, and he. I was. I was like, oh, I was hoping he would make it out to like the family, but he made it out to Megan. <laughs> Megan, you're the best. <laughs> what else did he sign though? What else he signed? Uh, he signed my little book. Your little rich dad poor dad book. This big. Yeah, it's like tiny. But you. But you've had that for like a lot of years, right? You keep mm -hmm, it up in your room. Five. Yeah. So there's like a little rich dad poor dad book that's for kids. It's like the mini version, uh, and it's really neat. Teaches you kind of the basic, the basic principles, right? Yeah, I think it starts the same as this one. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the twentieth. So this is the twentieth anniversary. So, so this year, it's the twentieth anniversary of Rich Dad Poor Dad. And when he does, he talks through. And this, it hasn't been released yet, so we were fortunate to get some advanced copies of it. Um, but uh, it should be released, I think, in the next uh, next few months. Yeah, it starts the same. I've read Rich Dad Poor Dad yep. a lot, so I had two copies. I had two copies of Rich Dad. Yeah, Rich Dad and a Poor Dad. So cool. All right, so let's talk about a few of the the financial things that you that you learned from from Kiyosaki. So I, uh, lots of people included debt in their talks, like about how debt could be good mm -hmm. and how it could be bad. Because some people think it's bad, right? Um, but he taught how debt there's good debt and bad debt. Okay, it depends on how people use it. So what are what's an example of good debt? Like what's so, what's good debt? Good debt, um, you could pay for assets. Buy assets, yep. Okay, so why is that good? Because the assets pay for the debt. That's right, yeah. So the assets will actually create income, and that income pays for it, and the person can kind of keep, keep the difference. And that's what he, that's what he does, right? Okay. Um, and then bad debt, what's, what's, what's an example of bad debt? Bad debt is like a doodad. A doodad. Like cash flow. Yeah. In ca so in, ca in the game Cash Flow 101, there is uh, you have uh, these you, you draw a card and there's a card that's a, that's a doodad, and a doodad is like what like what is what's the example of a doodad? It's like if you take your friends out to lunch. Your friends out to lunch. You have to pay a certain amount of money. Yep, like braces for your kids. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Go golfing. And yeah, and it, and it stinks because in cash flow. Right, you want to use your money to buy assets, but now you have to use your money to, you know, pay for a do that. And you, so you can't use it to so buy like assets. So like in real life, yep. like you, good debt is like what you use to buy assets. Exactly. Yep. So, all right. So good debt and bad debt. I'm glad. I'm glad you learned that. Um, so let's talk about taxes. Right. So there was a pretty comical. Well, it was it was serious, but there's also some funny parts to it. Right. So they used Donald Trump as an example. So what was that? What was that video like, or what was the what was the the concept of taxes like for you? So what are like what are ta you remember what taxes are? Taxes is like what you have to pay for the government, but you don't necessarily have to pay um, to the government if you follow all what the government does and says that you, they want you to do. Very good. So like um, Donald Trump, he doesn't <laughs> pay taxes. <laughs> Because he's smart. Yeah. But that was a video clip, followed, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> Hillary, remember Hillary was like, Hillary was like, well, Donald Trump doesn't pay any taxes. And then so they went on yeah. the debate thing. And he was like, and, yeah, because I'm smart. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. She said, why don't you pay taxes? And he said, 
because I'm smart. Yeah, <laughs> he like goes up to the mic. That's awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the whole idea of taxes. So you said that taxes. So taxes is how the government uh, gets money to do to do things, mm, right? But the if you things. but if you follow the government, they get it in either way. Yep. So they have some rules that say that if you do these things. You don't have to pay taxes, right? And some people think it's not fair. Yeah, because they paid they, and somebody else didn't, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't follow what the government did. Yep. They yeah. might do some of it, but they don't do all of it. Exactly. But and then look, look, and looking at Donald Trump, Donald Trump did certain things that the government asked him to do, which was basically things they would have had to do if if he didn't invest there or pay for it, right? Yeah. All right. So those were yeah. So taxes is one of those things that's very hard to understand at a complex level, but they made it pretty easy to, to understand, right? Yeah. So that's what Kiyosaki, his whole teaching was about debt and taxes, and he talked about other things, of course. But these are some of the things that you you took you took away and learned. And once you have to pay taxes, yep. Now you're gonna understand why some people like them and some people don't. <laughs> but that'll be a few a few more years. Actually, I think you have to be 12 and then you can go work in, the, oh, you can go work like in business development. A year and a half. Sure. <laughs> okay, so any, anything else? What are, what are some other your like, fun highlights? Like, what are some of the fun things that we did as a, as a group? Oh, you, so you, uh, so what did you win? Tell, tell everyone what you won. I won an ugly souvenir and we didn't want to take it home because it was too ugly. So you won the ugly, <laughs> so they have an ugly souvenir contest. So they, they typically on the cruise, they'll, they'll go to these ports of call and it, yeah, they have they have this contest where you can find ugly souvenirs, and essentially the uh, they have a contest at the end, and whoever has the ugliest souvenir based on audience applause wins. Wins, right? So tell us about your ugly souvenir. So it's from the Titanic. It's I, from the Titanic. I've never seen it, but you told me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name? What do you remember the name? We named it. Like you named it. No, because you. Dead Leo. <laughs> Dead Leo. All right, so is this? We'll put a picture on on the on the show notes. But uh, but yeah, Dead Leo. It was he was it was that famous scene in the Titanic where he's leaning over the balcony. And they're like this. And yeah, but it was a skeleton. It was, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was, just... it was like dead. It was like dead skeleton. So it was, it was, and there was like a head on a rock. Yeah, and there was skulls. Like skulls are <laughs> yeah. worse anyway. Okay, cool, Megan. Well, thanks for doing the podcast with me. Oh. I'm glad you had a good time on the. The Investors Summit at Sea. Any other any other highlights you want to tell the the podcast listeners about? We played Cashville. Play Cashville. All right, yeah, that's a cool one. Did I, was, you... I got out of the rat race and I got out of the rat race, rat race. All right, so it was cool. <laughs> so at our so it was cool. Is at our table was the it was the guy who bought the very first copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. He was the guy that was uh, sitting across. Or was he? He was on my right. His wife was there too. He's from Austin, and he's the very first guy to ever buy Rich Dad Poor Dad first book. And so he was there. He was. I think he was going to give his copy because Robert didn't have any books left. So he's going to give his copy to him. Isn't that cool? Yeah. All right. So anyway, in cash flow. So how did you win in cash flow? <coughs> I took a <laughs> two million loan. You took a two million dollar loan. Uh -huh. Okay. So what did you do with some of the money? So. When you have two million dollars, uh -huh. you can go to big deal, and the big deals get you um, more cash flow to pay for your expenses. Yeah. But remember, and then you could pay that one back mm -hmm. because there's payday. Yeah. And um, technically, when you buy more assets, you get basically you get more money. Exactly. 
And so then you can pay back the loan, mm -hmm. and then then your expenses go down. Yep. But then you have more cash flow, mm -hmm. so then you win. Yep, you're right. That's your well. You played a lot before, and the iPad or your iPad makes it easier, right? Because you don't have to like calculate everything; it does it for you. So, but remember the the card you drew, you used some of the money to buy a stock at a really low price. One dollar. Yep, one dollar. And remember that like very next card, was it went to like yeah. it went to ten. So you took a loan and used some of it to buy at one dollar. And then it appreciated. You sold it at ten. Then you used all that cash. You paid off the loan. Then you used the remaining cash to pay off some of your debt and then buy a few assets. And you got a rat race. That was fun, huh? It was cool playing with adults. Right? Was there no? There weren't any kids. There were kids at other tables. Yeah, I was just the first one. Well, first kid there. Yeah. So. Then well, we also learned about the family bank. Family bank. That was in my presentation, right? What did you use the family bank to to buy recently? Um, I bought a new iPad Air. iPad Air. Now, you haven't gone to the level where you're getting somebody else to pay it back. But that's the next lesson, right? You're using, <laughs> you're using babysitting money to pay, to pay it back, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. That was, that was fun, mm -hmm. right? And we'll probably do it again. And uh, yeah, now you can go. You're going go to go to your real spring break because you get a whole week off of school. <laughs> was this a, a more fun way to learn than school? Absolutely. I agree. Totally. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for watching. And Megan, thank you again. And we will we'll see y'all next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial.